Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, you guys. Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Today, we're having on a new friend of mine who is a coach, podcaster, author, speaker, and educator. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and has a whimsical and richly varied list of experiences. She was a Waldorf teacher, child model and actress, nanny to the children of high-profile Hollywood actors, and a published children's poet. In 2017, she went on a vision quest in the Inyo Mountains, spending three days in the desert without food, fire, or a tent. She became infatuated with sacred rites of passage and out of this experience, birthed her company, Lunar Wild, which honors the sacred initiation into womanhood through celebratory first period gift boxes for girls. Since its foundation, Lunar Wild has helped hundreds of girls across North America break down stigma and shame through celebrating their body and their periods. In addition to being an energy worker and certified Reiki practitioner, she has studied a wide variety of holistic and alternative modalities such as transcendental meditation, sound healing, kriya yoga, Buddhism, tantric sexuality, shamanism, and psychedelic integration. She is now most passionate about working closely with a small group of one-on-one clients and men's groups like The Conscious Man to help bring about paradigm-blasting, long-lasting, life-transformative experiences. Please help me welcome Hallie Rosebud to Untamed and Unashamed. Thank you so much, Jade. It's yeah. really exciting to, to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so excited as well. So I was thinking this morning about the beautiful intro. I was just on your show two days ago. Yes. We recorded it. And that was such a heart opening conversation. If anyone wants to check that out on the Thought Room podcast. Um, but I was thinking about the intro of how just to start out, I felt really held and seen 
And that alone is so healing. And that alone is so heart opening as well. So it was a beautiful way to start out our conversation. And I was thinking about that this morning and thinking about how I wanted to offer the same to you. And what came up for me when I was thinking about that is how a lot of times as healers, as medicine women, as people who say yes to the work, as people who are alchemists of the pain, how a lot of times it it becomes something that feels so normal Mm. that we don't realize how much we're actually doing and how much healing we're actually offering. And so I wanted to invite you and everyone else that's listening that's a light in the world to just kind of for a moment, like give yourself a little appreciation and like an energetic pat on the back or spank on the butt, whatever you'd (laughs) like (laughs) to just really like acknowledge yourself for all the work that you've Mm -hmm. done in your life. That is also healing for the earth and, and for the planet, for the world, for the people that come across us and hear our message because again, it can, when we're doing it, it's like, we tend to forget how powerful it is. So Mm. to just give yourself some appreciation and really feel the beauty of that. Mm. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And I, just like on, on your episode, I'd love to hear what brought you into this work. Like what you're, I know when I first met you, um, I believe, I tried to confirm this with you earlier, but I, I don't know if either of us were quite too sure, but I, I think the first time we met was at a Christmas party. And I instantly had like such a curiosity about you because you had a very magnetic energy. And this was maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half. However, as magnetizing and as um, beautiful as that energy was, it's also completely different now. And I know you've probably, there's so many things in the last year and a half that has caused that, mm. all of those layers mm. to peel so that your light is truly shining and, mm. and you're really just embodying um, what you want to be. And that woman that I guess we tend to always say like what we want to become without realizing we're already that. That's why mm. we, that's why we want to be it because it's already within us, you know, like that roomy quote. You roam from room to room looking for the diamond necklace that's already around your neck. Mm, you know, everything that you want to be, you already are. Um, so I'd love to hear about your, not only your journey about what brought you to the medicine woman that you are and to the work that you're doing, um, but also what's happened in that shift. And then um, we also just to I, what I love too about this episode that's different than others is it feels like the budding of a friendship that's being captured on air, which yeah. is really nice. Um, I don't think I've had that before. I think I've uh, there's been a few people that like friendship has developed through interviewing them, but it wasn't like um, the experience of what it was like on your podcast and what it'll probably be today of like. Um, the connection that we're building with each other, which has been um, really beautiful to feel. So 
what we what we also just did in my backyard is we you know we danced a little bit to the sun I'm so thankful for that invitation from you Mm -hmm. because I probably would have just been like I got my orgasm today I'm ready let's turn on the mic and you had this craving to dance in the sun and to do a little bit of medicine so um it's up to you if you'd like to share your story first and then we can share what maybe what downloads we got or what openings we got out there or if you'd like to start there whatever whatever feels good for you right now beautiful Mm -hmm. thank you for that invitation yeah yeah so in your backyard on my way over I had this insatiable this desire to dance and to move and to be playful and I've been feeling that wake up in me over the past couple months I recently went through an uncoupling that was really challenging for me and um, like a deep partnership where we did a lot of medicine together. We did a lot of deep work together. And it was one of those karmic relationships where it really shows you your shit. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what was interesting for me in the ending of that relationship was this deep sense of failure that I had about an ending, I thought, gosh, with all of my tools, with all of my practices, with all of my skills and nonviolent communication and all the coaching that I do with other people, if I can't figure this out, am I a fraud? You know, am I, what is this? Mm -hmm. Am I an imposter? And I think that's why I held on for so long trying to figure it out because my ego was really attached to finding the answer Mm -hmm. and with all moments of surrender I truly believe it feels like the most horrible thing and the best thing at the same time so now that I'm on the other side of that a couple months out from this uncoupling I'm really starting to feel my my light and my sensuality and my playfulness return and that was coming alive in the car on the way over Mm -hmm. so when I got here I just said to you can we can we dance? Can we dance to a song together? And then I invited you to sit with Hape with me, which is traditionally it's tobacco snuff. Um, we have a liquid form of it here in nasal spray. And so we sat together. It was your first time with that medicine with the liquid form. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we set intentions, which is really critical. And we had a really beautiful conversation about medicine within the spiritual community and how sometimes it can be really flippantly used without Mm -hmm. intention Mm -hmm. it can be used as a crutch for connection Mm -hmm. because we don't know how or we feel insecure connecting without it Mm -hmm. and so I like the new alcohol (laughs) truly truly and so I liked that we were really intentional about not using it that way and Mm Um, I love doing it, being outside and sitting on the earth. And for me, my experience was just feeling this really deep connection with Mm -hmm. the earth and Mm -hmm. almost this moment of, I'm sorry that I ignore you sometimes, Mm -hmm. Mother Earth. And the earth, you know, this was something that I had in one of my ayahuasca ceremonies was about the earth's capacity to hold us Mm -hmm. and to hold all of the things that we think we have to hold. So I was breathing and I put my forehead to the earth and I was just like, can you just take everything that Mm. I'm carrying right now in the craziness and the busyness and can I just give it to you? Can I just leave it all here so that when Jade and I sit down, we can be 
clear channels yeah. for the messages that that want to come through. So mm-hmm. I was just feeling deep gratitude, deep love for you, mm-hmm. and connection, mm-hmm. and extreme gratitude for all of the sufferings that have been my training to lead me to this moment to be able to sit on these podcasts and share these messages because it has not been easy. Yeah. But I'm now finally starting to see how it's all making sense. So deep, deep gratitude for this opportunity. Yeah. Mm. That was similar to what I was feeling with the earth. Um, First about the intentions, you know, I have, so many people that are like anti-medicine work because they feel like you're opening portals. You don't know what you're going to access. And I always say like the difference is the intention. Like when you, when you bring a really clear intention to it and you're like, that's why also there's dieta, you know, typically before medicine use, you're like really coming to it clean with an intention. That's the portal you're opening. You Mm -hmm. know, that's what you're accessing. It's when you're coming to it with like, well, I just want to experience it. Like, let's just see what happens. You know, that's when sometimes you may access some. And also like Dr. Dan says, there's no bad trip. It's just a bad trip for the ego. Right. Um, And and medicine is like, like our friends, you know, there's some friends that come in and out of your circle. And this is really about our, our discernment. It's Mm -hmm. not about saying yes to everything all the time. Mm -hmm. It's really about doing that inner check-in. Is this the time for this? Mm -hmm. And Sometimes I'll be called to a certain medicine for like a long period of time and Mm -hmm. I'm working with it actively and I'm getting to know the personality of it and it's helping me with a particular energetic, you Mm -hmm. know, I might use cannabis. I was, I was using cannabis to transition out of my relationship and I was working with it daily with edibles and it was really helping me soften Mm because there was so much you know, when you, when you live with somebody and then you, your relationship ends and then you find yourself in your home by yourself Mm -hmm. and your body is going through a natural withdrawal of oxytocin and all of those yummy chemicals of what it's like to like lie in bed with somebody and Mm -hmm. be comforted. And if you have trauma of any sort, which includes all of us to Mm -hmm. some degree, uh, it can be really taxing for the nervous system. It's like, what's going on? Am I being abandoned? And Mm -hmm. am I in an emergency? And the Mm -hmm. body can, can really respond in these primal or reptilian sort of ways. So Mm -hmm. cannabis was a great one that came in and she was softening me and Mm -hmm. allowing me to tune into my creativity, into my sensuality. And then it was clear that I didn't, need that anymore because mm-hmm. I was through that process staying very awake to the change. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like when you get in an airplane, are you aware enough to sense the point at which the pressure changes and your ears start to change and, and that, you mm-hmm. know, your ears pop and there's a difference. Yeah. Uh, you can go on the airplane and not think about those things. Mm-hmm. So when I'm using medicine, I try to really pay attention to what has shifted And then I actively entrain myself with the positive feelings and the changes that I'm experiencing. So with the cannabis, when the softness would come on, when I could feel my heart open and what that 
somatically is experienced like for me is I suddenly have an awareness of my heart beating. Hmm. I watch, I feel my shoulders drop. I feel the tension in my jaw relax. I can sense my heart beating behind my rib cage. So there's many times throughout the day, we just, we don't feel our bodies and we can't sense our breath. So medicines are great for being a portal into different states of awareness Mm -hmm. And I really do believe the practice is how do we become the embodiment of the teachings of these medicines without relying on them all the time? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I know that um, there is a lot of sober work that I'm doing now that feels like I've taken a a plant medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe that is through doing the work of truly trying or, or seeking to embody what I'm receiving from the medicine and, and the medicine itself. Um, I know that when I was out there just now, I felt similar with the earth. I felt like we both had a, an urge to lay on the earth. And, um, what I was feeling is just like, as the feminine, you know, it's, it's mother earth, how much we carry that energy and how healing that is for people, but also it has always, it's really like, I love, like, it's, it's simple to say, like, I love the earth. I love the earth so much, but it's different when you really feel one with the earth, because then when like, there's this duty to be a good steward of the earth and to really take care of her. And it kind of like clicks, like, ah, this is why it pains me when someone doesn't do something as simple as like recycling. Yes. Why it's like, it's, it's such a, it almost feels like I'm just being a nag or like um, uptight when really it's because I'm feeling the pain of right. all that we're kind of doing to yeah. the earth. So there was that. Um, I noticed that, you know, the sun was above us so that can, you know, make this to where you can say like, oh, well, it's just because the sun was above, but you know, on medicine, everything's a metaphor as well. (laughs) But I noticed that I kept, my head kept wanting to go down Mm. because it was feeling a little nauseated. But when my head would go down, things would get really dark because it was like, I was looking away from the sun. Mm. And so I kept like looking up to the sun and when I would look up to the sun, everything would get bright again. Mm. And so there was this message of like, just keep your damn head up. Like you're a queen. Like you can't, you can't like wear your crown and be your sovereign, like have your sovereign birth. You know, that gets thrown around a lot. Like you're a queen, but like we are Queens by our sovereign birthright, you Mm -hmm. know? So like to keep our head up and hold that energy and that like, we, we, we really can't do that with our heads down, like Mm -hmm. to keep your face, uh, to keep your head up, like what you're basically like kind of what you, we talked about on your show of like, our energetic state and our thoughts create our reality. Yes. So if, if we are focusing on the light, if we're looking up, you know, towards the metaphorical sun in our life, yes, then everything changes Our our feeling change Our everything that we're carrying in our body changes. So there was that feeling that was really strong. Um, and it was interesting, something came up that hadn't come up in a long time. There used to be this female soul that like would always try to show up and like she wanted to be born through me and she hasn't shown up in like three years because I kept telling her like, yeah, I need you to reroute. Like I want to, 
I want to go to Soltara. I want to do Layla Martin's program. I want to go to all these things. Like I can't get pregnant right now. And for the first time in three years, she like showed up again. She's like, hi, I'm still here. We still have this soul agreement. And I still had that feeling of like, can you, can you reroute? Like a soul, like a soul that wants a female soul that wants to be birthed through you. Yeah. She like showed up for the first time in three years. Um, And it still was that feeling of like, almost like I already know her and I love her, but I also want to do all these like week long Mm. medicine retreats and Joe Mm. Dispenza retreats and all these things. And so it was an interesting little um, ask of her to like all of a sudden be here again. Does it feel not possible for you to do those things at once? I guess my experience with my two previous children, I had a partner that was not present and supportive and, you know, um, had an addiction. And so I was carrying everything and Mm -hmm. my life kind of just stopped and it was really, really hard. Um, so I think that I may be projecting that previous experience onto it. Ah. Yeah. So that's something I'm going to, I'm going to definitely sit with and and journal about, but it was just interesting to see her show up again. Mm -hmm. She's a very familiar energy so I know oh it's you Mm -hmm. um I think her name's Viva (laughs) beautiful Um, would that mean like life yeah so um I um this is your interview so I'll make this really quick (laughs) this is how we do um I think I've shared this on the show before um on a solo cast but I you know started trying to commit suicide at 10 and um Viva means live. And when I went to a meditation ashram in Brazil, when I was 24, it was a month long thing, mostly in silence, um, in Mauna, you know, uh, purposeful silence. And then on Fridays was like our one day to socialize. And we watched this movie, this documentary called Happy. And I just remember for, and I had just gone through a really tough breakup with someone that I was so in love with but it was, we were both anxiously attached before we, I knew what that meant. Right. And so it was extremely toxic, but I was in so much pain and being in silence. And so we watched this show, this documentary called happy. And I remember just thinking like, Oh, this is so much more simple than I'm making it. Hmm. And I remember just feeling like I can choose happiness. Like I can choose that. And I also, I was surrounded by like 23 other people from all over the world, didn't all speak English, but we all had this like shared connection of what we were there for. And I remember feeling while watching Happy, this level of happiness that I hadn't tasted before. And then when the documentary ended, the shaman said, uh, yeah, the creator was supposed to be here but his daughter Viva is bo- was, mm. was born this morning. Mm. And so he's not able to make it. And I remember thinking, ah, one day I'm going to name my child Viva to remind myself to live because had I had any of those suicide attempts worked, I would have missed out on this, you know? And then two years ago or two years later, I was on the beach on New Year's Eve, run a fire with my best friend, Tom Shadiak and a bunch of other creators like, um, Chris Nolan, like all these people that I really admired in the film industry because of what they'd done. And I remember again, feeling like, oh, I could have missed out on this because I had tried to commit suicide six months prior. And I was like, I could have missed out on this aliveness. Mm. I could have missed out on this friendship with Shadyac. Oh my God, I'm so glad I lived. Mm. 
And right when I had that thought, this little girl pulled on my pants. I had those loose Thailand elephant pants on. And her mom said, Viva, you're going to pull her pants down. And I was like, oh, I'm going to name my daughter Viva. And I told her why. And she's like, that's my film, me and my husband. So that was the little girl. Yeah. And so there was this knowing that like Mm -hmm. one day I'm going to, I'm get like, that like that's that's the name of my daughter there was like no doubt about it and then um my previous partner was like not for that name at all and he was in a coma when I gave birth to Jaya my daughter yeah and so I couldn't like I didn't want to be like when he woke up like hey I I chose Jaya I chose I mean I chose Viva I chose my name so I went ahead and went with his name which I love the name Jaya as well yeah he had a motorcycle accident right uh, wow, like two months prior to so my birth traumatic. Yeah, extremely traumatizing events feeling so alone during that big time, time. Yeah. yeah um and v uh, jaya means victorious one in sanskrit so i love her name viva means um live but i was gonna do viva karunya karunya means um compassion so it's gonna be live compassion mm. um but yeah Beautiful. so so she showed up today so i'll have to journal about all of that mm-hmm. um i i think also something that i noticed comes up a lot on medicine work um is in the very beginning i feel like a fire in my brain and there's this fear of oh am i damaging my brain like crap what have i done did i drink too much did i take too much and then i feel it release yes and right after the release i feel whatever my intention was i feel every blockage that intention sucked out of me so today the sun i felt the sun like take it from me yes and um so yeah there's that that release of that fear and i just for the listeners um i want to remind that if don't ever I'm, I don't want to pressure anyone, you know, you definitely have to feel called to the medicine work, but if it's ever a fear or if it's ever like, oh, I don't know what's going to come up. First of all, that fear will be released and then you'll have less fear in your body, mm-hmm. but also nothing's going to come up that doesn't need to be faced and that isn't ready to be met with love. Yes. That isn't already in there. That's not already in your psyche. Somebody said something to me that really landed once my friend Omar, he said, nothing can hurt you that isn't you. Mm. And I was like, what is so interesting? Yeah. I was like, what does that mean? And I really deepened into that. Nothing can hurt you. That isn't you. And what I came to was this idea that whatever the fearfulness, the paranoia, the anxiety that comes up is just a part of ourselves undressing itself to be revealed, to be Mm. witnessed by us. And it's asking to be loved. Yeah. It's asking to come home. It's mm-hmm. asking for us to not reject that part. Some people say, well, can't smoke cannabis. It makes me paranoid. I'm like, well, I'm willing to bet the paranoia is already living within you. Mm-hmm. And this really brings it up for you. Yeah. It's showing you that your mental hygiene probably isn't that great. And that's it's asking hard to be sat with. To face. Yeah. And to just breathe through the discomfort, uh, breathe into the edges of what appears, Mm -hmm. soften into it, welcome it, and begin a dialogue. So Mm -hmm. what are you here to show me? Yeah. Teach me. I'm willing. Mm -hmm. And what's underneath the paranoia. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And that's the idea of like either going down a roller coaster, gripping on the bars and clenching all your muscles Mm -hmm. and shutting your eyes or throwing your hands up and being like, I'm going to enjoy this ride. It's yeah. a little gnarly. I used to go in here. Yeah. yeah. 
for sure. And yeah. the more that we do that, we just deepen into our own trust of ourselves to be able to navigate and, and our own self-love. Yeah. When you get to that point, nothing in the external world really feels as scary because you've seen your own capacity. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I was in Costa Rica last month and everybody was doing this like, it was like the longest zip line ever, like ever <laughs> in the world maybe. And it was like over the ocean and everybody was like super stoked about it. And I chickened out right before. And um, there's so much that can be said about that, that I could have sat with and used that as a ceremony, really, if I would have chosen to get on it and face that fear and see, you know, there's so many angles that I could have taken of that. However, like I truly felt in my body that I was like, my body was saying no to it. Mm -hmm. And there could be so many reasons behind that as well. I was experiencing heart palpitations because of detoxing the mold. So maybe my heart didn't want that thrill at the moment. I just knew that my body was saying no, I listened to that. And maybe that was also what my body needed was like for me to honor it and, mm -hmm. and listen to its boundaries. But everybody else was kind of like, not teasing me, but just kind of like, like even the, the, um, guy who like operates the machine was like, I've never had anyone chicken out hmm. ever. Hmm. And I told everyone, I was like, I've drank over a hundred cups of plant medicine. So I hope you all realize that's not as scary because I said no to this, but I've never said no. I've hmm. Not that I've never said no to medicine, but, um, you know, that's, that's a way to look at it too. Definitely. Um, but, uh, yeah. So going back to the first question, um, I'd love to hear just some of your story of trial and tri triumph, because it's, I've, it's very rare that someone chooses the path that we've chosen, <laughs> <laughs> um, that is like truly wanting to be a healer to others that weren't, that didn't uh, like go through some sort of roller coaster, I guess we can use that term, um, where they had to face the darkness themselves and turn on the light and, and be that light. So I'd love to hear about what, yeah, yeah your journey yeah. there. Well, first, maybe I'll start also with your question of how my energy has shifted since we met, mm -hmm. because that feels most alive in me. And there's been a lot of paying attention to how my energy shows up in the world. And in September, October, I guess, of this year, I met my best friend and we met in a really unique way. Actually, synchronistically, apparently we had met at Soltara down when I was living there. So I lived at Soltara for three months. And so can you just tell everyone what Soltara is? Yes, yeah, Soltara is an ayahuasca center in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. I was invited down there by a friend, Scott, who was a director at the time to do a social media exchange, which was hilarious because mm -hmm. I had no social media presence. And I was just beginning this podcast, The Thought Room. It was actually a concept at the time that mm -hmm. I moved down there. Um, I had been to Soltara earlier in the year for my first round of ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And I had four ceremonies there. And I was doing something completely different at the time. I was founding my startup, Lunar Wild, which makes first period gift boxes yeah, for young women. Yeah, and I definitely want to, we're definitely going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, and it's to celebrate that sacred rite of passage into womanhood. And I had been living in New York, doing the startup scene, just hustling and pulling up my bootstraps. I was living in a bunch of scarcity at the time. I mm. could barely pay my rent. In fact, some months I couldn't pay my rent. And so I would rent out my apartment. And I would sleep on friends' couches. 
I would ask if I anyone done that. needed a plant sitter or a pet sitter. I remember sleeping in a in a single bed with my friend Claire in her apartment for like weeks. Mm-hmm. And just I have done all of just this. like <laughs> okay, we're doing this. Yeah. You know, we're trying to build things. She's the founder of a highly successful company. Um, now it's it's really blown up. It's called. Um, Ant Flow, and she provides mm. period products for colleges and businesses, and mm. really believes that you know toilet paper is free. Why aren't tampons? Um, so you know we connected because we we're both in the period space. Yeah, and so I was, that's what I was working on when I first went to Soltara, and I had this intention one night in ceremony. Okay, show me what's next with Lunar Wild. How am I going to grow this thing? And it's so funny with our intentions. Sometimes we think we're going to get the answer to a particular thing and it just completely redirects us. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me. I drank two cups of medicine that evening and I was brought through a exercise of witnessing the depth of the suffering on planet earth. Mm. And it was a montage of starving children, women being raped, how we're raking the earth of all its beauty and mm-hmm. its resources, the psychological distortions that get created when we sever from our parents, how that uh, lands within our DNA, how that creates generations and generations of patterning mm-hmm. and I just wept with it. I mm-hmm. just wept with it. I opened my heart to it. I didn't turn away. Mm. And it lit something up in me where I thought, there's so much suffering and I want to help. I want to help. And because I had already been through so much of my own journey, which I'm sure we'll get into, it was easy to access that that compassion. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting with this deep suffering of the earth. And I remember just being in this sort of like power stance, just being like, lay it on me, Mm -hmm. show me everything. I'm not afraid. And it was intense. It was dark. It was snaky. I saw all the sexual energetics between men and women and power and Mm -hmm. money. And I just felt it all. And in my months preparing for that first set of journeys, my dream space had gotten very vivid. And as I was falling asleep, sometimes I was being pulled into these other spaces. I didn't really know what they were, but sometimes I would just see random images, Mm -hmm. people, things of other suffering. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in that space in between sleep and, and wakefulness and engaging with the images saying, why are you showing me this? And it was like, just witness, just witness. I was like, okay. So I kept pulling myself out of the mental space and back into my heart and just with curiosity, just witnessing. Mm -hmm. So that was great training and meditation was great training for these ayahuasca ceremonies. And so I'm, I'm in this second ceremony experiencing all the suffering. And I said, I want to help. How do I help? And the medicine responded podcast hmm. and I thought come on now <laughs> I did not fly down in the jungle drink this stuff for my ego to just c- come online right now and tell me that it yeah. wants to be seen uh, doing a podcast yeah and so I tried to push it away and medicine would not let me it was like podcast I was like really 
how am I going to make money doing that? It's like <laughs> a podcast. And I think I shared this with you on, on the thought room the other day, but I was just in this loop, this thought cycle of three or four thoughts. It was big work, more medicine, podcast, big work, more medicine, podcast. And the power that I felt opening up inside my body was intimidating. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I can't drink more medicine. I can't even walk right now. This is, I don't know if I can do this. And I just sat, I just sat with all this, you know, this could have been what some people would call a bad trip. I was facing my unworthiness. I was Mm -hmm. facing my fear of being seen. I was facing my fear of being judged. And I just sat with it like a washing machine until it was cleaned out. And so when I left there, I knew, okay, I have to start this podcast. I didn't have the money to do it. I didn't know who I was going to interview, but there was this resolute seed that was planted that was like, this is a thing that you need to do. And I had no idea what would come of it. Now, flash forward, this is the thought room is my main thing. You know, I am a podcaster first and a coach. And all of this has blossomed within the last two years because of my willingness to keep following that intuition, those mm-hmm. that inner direction. Mm-hmm. So a few months after I had done those for that first set of ayahuasca ceremonies and was beginning to cultivate this friendship with Scott, who was the director, I said, I'm really doing this. I'm going to start this podcast. My mom had given me $1,200 to Mm. buy the equipment because I couldn't even afford to do that. I had started interviewing friends in my apartment in New York. And Mm. that's what, if you go back to some of the first episodes of the thought room, I was just had a couple microphones and a backpack and I was just going wherever to collect interesting stories. So I shared this with Scott and he asked me, would you like to continue your medicine work? I said, well, what would that look like? I can't go down to this luxury retreat center and be paying thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. to stay there. And he said, well, if if you want to do it, say yes, and then I'll see what I can do. And I said, it's a yes. Mm. And maybe two days later, he came back and he said, you're coming. I said, how, you know, he's like, we want, we want you to do this social media exchange. You will uh, be able to drink the medicine every week. You'll be able to interview the, all the leaders of the retreats, the guests and influencers that come through. And it was really interesting because in that moment, something clicked for me where when I made this agreement to do the podcast, I said, okay, universe, if if this is really what you want, I will do it. Mm Mm-hmm but I do not have an agreement to suffer anymore. So make this happen. Bring the guests to me is mm-hmm. what I said. Mm-hmm. And a couple months later, the guests yeah. were literally going to be flying to where I was. It's no secret that shame free sex and pleasure are powerful avenues to deeper connections and an overall sense of well being. and accessible expertly designed toys can play a big part in getting you there and making you feel more alive. Dame is leading a sexual wellness revolution as a women powered resource for game changing pleasure products and supportive content. Started by a sex educator and an engineering whiz, Dame develops her products based on research and feedback from people like you. They're making better sexual experiences and more pleasure available to all. Dame's easy-to-use toys and accessories are made with body-safe, 
doctor-approved materials, and smart design principles. And they've earned glowing praise from the New York Times, the Today Show, and many more, including me. Whether you're looking to shake things up with your partner or upgrade your self-care routine, they've got something for every nightstand. Even better, Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. And I will guarantee you satisfaction because I use their products myself. They're amazing. My favorite one is their suction toy. I call it the clit sucker, but it's uh, spelled A-E-R. It's called air it's a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation it creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris so you can go all the way right away guys i have like eight to ten orgasms almost every time i use it i use it during sex and in my own pleasure practice you will not be disappointed they're also sending me a bunch of their other products so i'll keep you updated but as of right now this one's my favorite and i highly recommend it Go to dameproducts.com and use code JADE today for 15% off your order with Dame. Now on with the show. So uh, about a month before I flew down to Soltara, I got in a car accident. I was driving home from my boyfriend at the time. sister had just gotten married in Pennsylvania. I got onto the highway and had maybe been on the highway for two minutes and I was about to enter onto the interstate and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something moving across the six lane interstate and it looked like an animal, but I wasn't really sure what it was. And I slammed on my brakes and it was one of those times slowing down moments. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a guy on a bike. Oh, wow trying to cross six lanes of highway. Oh my God. Two bags of groceries on his handlebars, no helmet. Oh my gosh. I don't know if he was inebriated. I don't know what happened, but I'm going 60 miles an hour at least. And I slam on my brakes and everything happens in slow motion. I watch as his, I hear the sound of his bike crunching, my windshield shattering. I watch as his head hits his unhelmeted head oh my God. hits my windshield. I slam on the brakes. I, it was one of the most grounding moments of my life. It was like all my energy went back into my body, but I also couldn't feel my body because mm-hmm. of the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And there were these hollow, pregnant, timeless seconds from the moment I put on the brakes till the moment I was getting out of the car. And I just thought, please don't let him be dead. Please don't let me have just killed somebody right now. And time collapsed. And I had this really interesting experience of experiencing like infinite timelines all at once. So in a flash, I had saw I had seen one outcome where that my airbag went off, my face got all smashed in and needed to be reconstructed. And I didn't look the same anymore. I saw a timeline where I tried to veer out of the way and I went into the because I was in the lane up against the cinder blocks. And I had seen myself going into the cinder blocks, me dying, my body being carried out. I had seen him die. I had seen a timeline where I just 
we passed each other, but we missed each other. And I just was like, Oof, that was a close one. And I drove back to New York and I can't describe it, but in that moment, all of those outcomes felt perfectly okay. Mm. Like, of course we have preferences, but on a soul level, I was just so surrendered. Yeah. It was miraculous. And I've never experienced anything quite like this because I stepped out of the car. The man's bleeding in the middle of this super busy highway. He's trying to get up. So I'm shouting at him, please stay down. I look around and I find a woman. My vision's all blurry. I ask her to call 911. Within under a minute, miracles started to occur. And it was a Sunday. And I remember looking over and there was a priest in full garb he was praying. Mm. And then a minute later, a retired police officer showed up and started to talk to me about what I would need to give the police when they arrived. My boyfriend at the time, his aunt and uncle happened to be on the same highway. They recognized my car and they stopped and they pulled over to stand with me and hold my hands. Mm. There was a, an, a pair of off-duty ambulance workers who were coming home from their shift who saw it happen and came with a neck brace and everything started working on this man. And I was just listening to the sounds of the highway. Everything was passing by and it was surreal. And a few minutes later, my boyfriend at the time, Ross showed up and was there to coordinate the car and all of it. Later, they tried to look at the highway cams to see what happened. Both cameras were turned in the opposite direction. Hmm. They couldn't track down the woman who called 911. The highway was filled with hundreds of people. There were zero eyewitnesses at all. Hmm. No one actually saw the moment. And so it was like this, this was, this was just for us. This was for me and for this man. And um, I think when he was taken to the hospital, they didn't even bother, you know, drug testing him or seeing if he was mm-hmm. inebriated because it was illegal obviously for him to be crossing the interstate yeah and I thought both of us have suffered enough in this we don't need to go any further and uh, it went away but I was in a lot of pain for a while and my car was unusable I had to leave it in Pennsylvania and I flew out to Costa Rica like two weeks later Mm. it was I think that happened on October 13th and I flew out to Costa Rica on October 31st so that was the beginning of my uh, Soltara journey. And then... Yeah, the ceremony starts as soon as you say yes. Man, does it ever. And then I began working with the medicine and interviewing these people that were coming down in the first few weeks. I got to see my fr- our friend Eric Godsey. Hmm. Uh, Dennis Mc- Dr. Dennis McKenna was one of my first interviews too. Hmm. And Dorian Yates highly decorated, um, Mr. Olympia. So I hit the ground running with these interviews and I was really actively working with the medicine to, to ask what it wanted of me. Mm-hmm. First eight ceremonies for me were probably just clearing out a lot of gunk mm-hmm. from this life, a lot of grief, a lot of sadness. And then in some of the latter ceremonies, I started to get deeper insights from realms far beyond this one. (laughs) Yeah. And discourses on the breath, how to use the breath as a tool for 
expanding consciousness. Mm -hmm. I was learning about really subtle communication energetics. Mm -hmm. So this kind of ties back to what, you know, what has changed for me in the last year has been trying to become very impeccable and responsible with my own energy. So we have these avatars, these bodies. A lot of my pain in the past was caused by anger around how people were interfacing with my body. So being an attractive young woman in a big city like New York, uh, dating, not being super responsible with my sexual energy at all times, really working with some energetics of needing to be rescued Mm -hmm. that probably tied to some stuff around my parents' divorce. Mm -hmm. When I was nine, they had a three-year custody battle and it was really messy and we had our own lawyers. And uh, I remember at one point when I was a child having a lawyer ask me, who do you want to live with, your mom or your dad? Mm. And to be asked that question as a child is is like the Sophie's choice. It's just like, well, what do you mean? I have to make that choice. And I remember walking out of that meeting with our lawyer because my brother Zach and I were the only ones old enough to really be making that decision at the time I was nine or 10 and he was 12. And then we had younger brothers that were eight and six. And my brother Zach turned to me and he said, you have to choose mom. If you choose, if you choose dad, our family is going to be broken up. So I remember this deep confusion because I had such a special connection with my father and I loved my friends and I didn't want to leave upstate New York. My mom wanted to relocate to Canada. So you can see how all of these things kind of lay the bricks for, for who we become and what Mm -hmm. we need to work through. My sexual energy was a big one. And you and I talked about this on the episode that we just did on the thought room of when a woman can become responsible and empowered in her sexual energy without leaking it Mm -hmm. without holding it over anyone's head Mm -hmm. this changes her entire experience of of life and Mm -hmm. connecting with men and women especially we talked about the sister wound Mm -hmm. so one of my so I would have this anger around men because I would feel that they wouldn't really see me they'd see the body Mm -hmm. and how that manifested in my energy is often I felt like I needed to prove that I was smart Mm. so I would come with this harsher sort of overcompensating energy to prove to them that hey I'm more than just a pretty face Mm -hmm. there was a lot of sarcasm in my humor a lot of really subtle but making fun of other people with my wit just Mm. to take them down like one little peg like hey do you realize you're being an asshole Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that, just, just, just anger. And then with women, there was anger too, but it was different. It was like walking into rooms and feeling women size me up Mm -hmm. and having this pain and confusion inside about, so are they threatened by me? Are they jealous? Am I doing something to project that energy? I'm just trying to show up as me now that I feel their insecurity as an empath. Does that mean that I extend myself to calm them and soothe them? Do I, do I choose to use my energy for that? Or I just kind of say, that's their shit. They have to deal with that. And that's even more triggering. So there were all these really uh, 
threaded, subtle layers of, of working on how my energy presents that I'm still working on to some degree mm-hmm. that have been really important in, in cleaning up my interactions and feeling confident in who I am. Yeah. So that is some of the journey. Um, I, there's definitely more. There's been deep periods of sexual shame, losing my period in my 20s for a couple of years, and going on this healing journey with asking that, wanting that to return. I felt like a huge imposter because I was starting Lunar Wild, and all these women circles in New York were asking me to lead circles, new moon circles, period circles, and I wasn't menstruating. Hmm. And I had this deep shame around that. And I started working with a tantric coach in Australia. Her name is Martina Hughes, who at the time I couldn't even afford to pay her. And she offered me three months of sessions. And I was willing to try anything at that point because I had I had done pretty much everything except go back on birth control, which is what the doctors wanted me to do to force this period to return And my body just did not want to have anything in it that was pharmaceutical anymore. That was just very clear for me. So I was trying Chinese medicinal herbs. I was doing acupuncture. I'd had one acupuncturist tell me to do earthing. So to get my bare feet on the earth, to try and get moonlight. I was reconnecting with my creativity and writing poetry. But Martina was a really big turning point for me. I remember her asking me questions and this was my first experience with coaching. I'd never really been coached in any sort of capacity before. And she would ask me questions like, so tell me about your relationship with your father. I'd be like, what does this have to do with my period? You know, like I was getting so mad at her and she would just stoically sit there and nod at me as I would have these like visceral, almost like little girl emotional tantrums because she was she was stroking the spot she was stroking Mm -hmm. the tender spots and it was about what I deserved or what I felt I deserved so started working with my own sexual energy picked up the book urban tantra Mm -hmm. there's a whole section called tantra for one and then there's a second section called tantra for two at the time I wasn't partnered so I was just really working with my own sexual energy and my own pleasure can I can I touch myself can I touch myself in a way that is loving? Can I get myself moist enough without lube? Mm. Can I, do I want to spend the time doing that? I would create little solo rituals for myself where I really love making charcuterie boards. (laughs) So I go to these little uh, meat counters and stuff in Brooklyn and I pick out different cheeses that I liked. I'd get fresh flowers and fruit. I'd make myself a charcuterie board I'd light a candle, mm. I'd put on music, and I would feed myself really slowly, like the way that I would want a lover to feed me. Mm. I'd feel my skin. I'd see how how my body reacts to different kinds of touch, little strokes, little slaps, little tickles, mm-hmm. and just really uh, melt into falling in love with myself mm-hmm. again. So that's been a really big piece. And then to to flip back to more present day was meeting my best friend Danny in Sedona this past October. It has radically shifted the timeline of Mm -hmm. my life Mm -hmm. to have a woman who so unconditionally tells me every day how much she loves me, Hmm. how I'm not too much, 
how she wants to see me shine. She Mm. tells me that every day. I want to see you shine. And when you've had a life full of feeling, whether real or perceived, that other women don't want you to shine, Mm -hmm. to have that medicine every day, it's like a supplement I take. And every time she says it to me, it makes me emotional to talk about because now I'm starting to believe it. Mm -hmm. And something will happen or there's a there's a juicy sexual encounter and she wants all the details Mm. she's like I want to celebrate your pleasure with you I want to celebrate Mm. your pleasure what an amazing best friend she's amazing this is how my sisterhood is with the four women yeah she's amazing she has changed my life Mm -hmm. and in truth my uncoupling probably wouldn't have happened without her support she, I I think I looped over some of the same stories every single day about how I was feeling in that relationship. And she never judged me. She never said to me once, you need to re- leave that relationship. Mm-hmm. She just held it. And she would reflect back to me what she was hearing. So I am hearing you say that when your phone rings and it's him, you're not feeling a sense of expansion. You're feeling a sense of contraction. Mm-hmm. Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. The two of you haven't seen each other in eight weeks. He's coming home. How, how's your body feeling about that moment when he walks in and you see each other? And I was like, Oh shit, this is sobering. This is really sobering. So she didn't lead me into anything. She led me back to myself. Yeah. And that's the power of of the feminine. And that's Mm -hmm. the power of, that's how, you know, you found a great teacher in Mm -hmm. your life. They're not telling you what to do. They're telling they're asking you questions. They're asking questions and they're reflecting back to you what you are saying. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of threads that I want to pull on. Um, the first thing you brought up about um, imposter syndrome, because you were going through a breakup um, and like, does this, but I'm leading people through, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. relationship stuff and I'm teaching them how to communicate. And yes. um, I've gone through that as well of like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm guiding couples through tantric experiences and through, um, you know, tantric kisses and all these things, but I'm not experiencing it in my own yes. relationship because where we're at and I'm, I, you know, all these things that I was teaching, like you give me a problem with a couple. Mm-hmm. I got it. Yep. I know. Okay. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. You like, like you do this, you do yep. this. And I, I am like moved through the session by like almost as if it happened for me right? because of how powerful it is. But yeah, in my own relationship in communication, I can still struggle with shutting down or, um, just, uh, resorting to old trauma patterns, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I heard these two guys the other day were talking about these two, like two of the most famous relationship coaches that are existing right now. Like mm-hmm. everybody knows who these people mm-hmm. are. Okay. Mm-hmm. That they're date that they were dating for two years and that they broke up because they couldn't stop fighting mm-hmm. um, over this one thing. Hmm. And they were, but they were kind of like making fun of them. Like, Oh, they're, they're the most respected, the highest paying or highest charging relationship coaches, but they broke up cause they couldn't, you know, mm. and then like kind of like making fun of them. And it like pained me. Cause I was like, 
well, you realize that they're human, right? Like the way, the reason why they're able to bring that magic to their clients is because they are learning to move through it themselves. Like if like of course they're not in an easy relationship that's not how we learn they went they they took the separation because they thought this isn't it like this isn't how it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. we are we know inside there's a different energy available to us that's the soul guiding you Mm -hmm. and they went and they I'm sure that they went into their own darkness they were like what the fuck is this Mm -hmm. what is the this person is a person that is super conscious and, and willing and ready to do the work. So how much of this is mine? And sometimes when you're in the noise, it's all too loud. It's yeah. all way too loud because it brings you right back to being a little child yeah. and not having that peace that you needed. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we can't come to a relationship and expect it to work when we're not whole. Yeah. And we can't hold ourselves to the standard of, I have the tools, so it should be easy. Right. Like, yeah, I have the tools, but right. that also just makes it more work. Right. You know, because I have to actually use the tools, yes. you know? Um, so that was the first thing. The second thing um, was about your experience on the medicine. Um, two little threads there. So you, you talked about um, all of the pain that came up that you had to sit with. And I think that what that really, and you may have learned it prior, but I know that what my experience has been with you, that is so much of your medicine is your presence. Mm. Um, the way that you host your show and the way that you listen, you have a very deep presence. And that is one of the most healing forces on the planet. And I think that you being able to sit with the medicine and sit with all of that pain of the earth and feel all of that compassion is likely part of why you're such an effective coach or healer and I think truly that our presence is more healing than any modality yes and so um I wanted to recognize that as well and um the presence is is pure love presence is love embodied I believe and so many of us you know Mary Margraves actually was the one who told me that she said so many people are working through deep pockets of shame mm-hmm. in their lives that's a really really big thing for a lot of us mm-hmm. and when we give someone our presence effectively what our energy is saying is this too belongs like whatever mm-hmm. your experience is belongs here I'm not afraid of it it's not too ugly for me I don't love you any less in fact every time that I'm with someone and they are insecure to share something or it feels unsightly or ugly or there's a lot of gruff and they share it one I immediately notice the relief on their face and then two they 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 get the experience of the reflection of my energy holding them and saying yeah I love that part of you Mm. this is the this is real can Mm -hmm. you see that we're sharing in this moment together yeah yeah and that's what's so healing about your friendship with Danny and mm-hmm. my friendship with Shadyac. That's why it was a pivoting moment, I think, for both of us, is that's what they brought to us. Yes. And once you can experience that in another, that's when you're truly able to, because if you haven't experienced it, it's so hard to be it. Yes. But once someone has given that to you, that's when you're able to, oh, okay, I know what this feels like. I mm-hmm. want to give this to others. Mm-hmm. And so it's so healing that you're continuing that ripple effect. Yes. Um, the other thing about the medicine that I wanted to bring up is you said that at Soltara, you drink every week. Yeah. So. 
all just like podcasting in the I middle know. of it. So, you know, and the, the first like 10 interviews were down there. So if people go back and listen to those on the thought room, it's quite likely that probably the day before I drank ayahuasca with whatever guest was, mm. was on the show, like Eric Godsey, it was his first ayahuasca ceremony ever. And oh I interviewed him gosh, the very honor. next day. Golly. It's, it's one of our top downloaded episodes I because it's just like, he was so open for the, for the first he time. He interviewed that. me after my very first Wachuma. Wow. And uh, it was, he said it was one of his favorite interviews yeah. because it's, there's, it creates this openness, yes. you know, um, and the medicine's probably doing a lot of the sweetening as well, because it's still in our system. 100%. Um, but with that, with the fact that you did it um, weekly. So I, you know, I joked about how I've drank over a hundred cups of medicine and um, you know, because a lot of times it's a two or three night, ceremony and you drink a couple night a, yeah. a couple cups a night but for me uh in the conscious community even there has been a lot of judgment around well why does she need to take so much medicine like she's obviously not leaving time for integration mm -hmm. like there's been all these um possibly projections i'm not sure but from my from my friends in the conscious community and and um my sister's group also practice, they, they practice with medicine a lot. So that's been one of the, um, connecting forces with us is like, ah, they get it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're here to like, this is our soul knows what it's doing. This is what we're here for. Um, but I had a friend, um, in the conscious community here in Austin that said like sober work is the real work. Mm -hmm. And while I feel that there's so much truth to that, um, there was this like feeling for a while that like, oh, I, well, I'm going to keep doing medicine, but I just probably shouldn't talk about mm. it. I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell my friends where I'm going this weekend uh -huh. because I felt so judged. Yes. And it's, I, it came to the point where I was like, you know what? First of all, when it comes to vaccines, when it comes to medicine work, when it comes to relationships, any of it, yep. we have to trust that the other person's soul knows what it's doing. And it had, it made this agreement before it was here, you know, mm -hmm. like there's that. But also I came to this point where I was like, God, if, if the people in my life are not going to allow me the space to be me and to, to do the process, like to go through this process, then they're not my people. Yes. You know, this is not my community. This is yes. not my circle. Yes. And so there was a pulling away um, with also the sadness of, I really love these people yes. and they also have so much medicine yes. in a different way. And so there's been this like push and pull in me around this. Um, I just didn't, I don't know if you have anything to say on that. Um, also the, the part about it, it feels similar. The part that you said about like women not wanting us to shine our light that also shows up in the conscious community, believe it or not. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I Especially with coaches that are really trying to build their practice. Right. Because if you're also a coach, they know not to be competitive because it's only gonna, it's only gonna affect them, you know, mm -hmm. like that's a low vibration. But at the same time, it's like, um, there, I don't know. I don't know if com competitiveness is the right word, but there's this feeling of, um, I, I don't even know what word to use. Yeah, I, I also witnessed this happening online where thought leaders and coaches are telling other coaches how to coach. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not talking about what's really going on in the world, then you're, you know, you're inauthentic or you're turning away from what's real. 
and uh, people are going to remember whether or not you posted about this important yeah. thing. There's so much judgment in that mm -hmm. space. When you may still be sifting out what it means for you, and then you may not just not be ready to post about it because you're still like integrating it yourself, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that energy of judgment to me, it just doesn't really serve. It's just a gross oversimplification of everybody's process. Mm -hmm. And it, it, we all just need to be doing our own integrity checks with mm -hmm. it. So when I see something like that, where a coach is calling out uh, other coaches for the way that they're not showing up, mm -hmm. I'll take it. I'll hold it in my heart and I'll go, is, does this apply for me? Is there medicine in this for me? Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes it's no. And that's why it's so important to cultivate that relationship with, with our inner being or mm -hmm. our higher being. Same with the friendships. So for me, I'm, I've just reached a point where I'm really ready to open to unconditional love mm. in all circles, in all pockets, in all friendships, in all romantic relationships, and... I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. I also know what that doesn't feel like. Mm -hmm. So because I have developed that discernment, it allows me to choose. I deal with the grief of when a relationship needs to maybe take a pause. I do my best to communicate why I'm choosing the space in a way that's graceful and not shaming and mm -hmm. not blaming the other person. And I try not to over apologize mm -hmm. for, for my journey. And, mm -hmm. and that is actually a radical act of self-love yeah. when we choose ourselves. Yeah. And what's so beautiful about all the conditions is we wouldn't learn how to love unconditionally or know how to love unconditionally if the conditions weren't there. Yes. So it gives you gratitude for the conditions. Yes. And I think something for me is that um, not only the spirituality that I've chosen, but uh, just it's always kind of been there. People have always called me the devil's advocate and, but not in a good way. Mm. Um, because there's this, this yearning in me to be non-dual mm -hmm. and to not be right and wrong. Yes. To never like you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, like that's not healing at all. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes with the things that like people really want us to be posting about, like in my body, I can feel the pain of both sides and the fear of both sides. And it's not that I, it's like, I don't even like saying sides because it's not that like, I'm not choosing where I stand, but it's that like, I'm feeling the grief of both sides and I don't want to add to that polarity. Yes. I want to add to that duality. I want to heal it. Right. And well, we need to understand where it comes from when shit's going down in the world on a large scale or even in a in a singular closed container of a relationship there's fear mm -hmm. about the unknown yeah so when you don't know if you're making the right choice mm -hmm. or how something is going to play out there's fear mm -hmm. so a lot of people will grasp to a particular standpoint or outcome because it at least in standing in that they can give themselves the illusion that they're in control Mm. of what's going on so yeah. if I'm part of the group that's winning I'm part of the group that's actually trying to be healthy or heal everyone mm -hmm. and I now I get to have this sense of community I get to have this sense of righteousness I get to the have this mentality sense of too belonging mm -hmm. right so taking responsibility for this natural human desire to belong and seeing 
is this getting a little shadowy Mm -hmm. in some aspects? Mm -hmm. Am I pulling the wool over my own eyes so that I can feel more comfortable in the discomfort of what living in the world in 2022 feels like? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think that, that, that feeling of knowing what's right just for you. Like my body says no to this. My body says yes to this. Can we just trust that someone else is doing that? Maybe even if they're getting misinformation, that's the information that maybe is for them at that time. You know, it's just this level of trust that their soul chose this, you know? And I think too, um, uh, we need those different, we need those people to do this and us to do this. That way we can see where they both head, where they both end up, you know? Otherwise we don't really learn that much. So one of my biggest insights with ayahuasca was about this founding principle of the universe, and that is, or a law, if you will, which is do not transgress another's free will. Mm. And out of that comes all the power distortions that we see that make our world sick physically, emotionally, spiritually, when we try to override another's free will, that we're actually transgressing this sacred law of the universe, which is choice, Mm -hmm. right? And so even if you go back to all the major religions, it's like, well, it's really important, for example, in Christianity, that you choose to invite Jesus into your heart. Mm -hmm. That's your free will. So when we try to impinge or impose on another's free will, we're, we're kind of messing with karma or creating more karma is yeah. essentially what we're doing. So to, to be responsible for our preferences, it doesn't mean we can't have preferences. And of course, there's this desire to teach, you know, when we have, I, again, I'm, I've got Jesus on my mind, but when well, she, he's right behind you, so, but you know, when he was roaming the earth, he wasn't telling people, I don't believe, of course, I wasn't there, or maybe I was, I don't fully recall, but he wasn't like, you have to choose love or you're going to burn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? He was saying, listen, it can be like this. You can let it all go. You can believe it. You can feel this. He was acting out of love. And it changed people. He Mm -hmm. did not have to force them Mm -hmm. to believe in love because he emanated it to the point where they knew it was truth within their own bodies. Yeah. That's what a teacher does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think so much of that is like also rapture mentality of like the world is going to end or like this is going to happen. There's going to be this crumbling and only I and the people like me Mm -hmm. are going to be saved. Mm -hmm. And some people are even making regenerative farms out of that mindset. You know, right. of course, it's it, this is still a good thing. Take that's care happening. of my own, right? Yeah, us and them. Yeah, and it, but it's a very much like you. They're lost, and the people like me are going to be saved. You yes. know, um, yeah. That's a <laughs> uh, the book "Recapture the Rapture" by Jamie Wheel. Mm-hmm. That's that's a dream podcast guest that we both probably need to yes. have on. Um, Shout out, Jamie! Can yeah, find us. <laughs> and um. The other thing that I wanted to dig more into is your period box mm-hmm. and the work you do around red tent and um, yeah, anything you want to share around that? I think yeah. that, well, I'll, I'm sure you're going to say it, but I think that most of our first periods are 
they don't feel like an initiation. And that's something that I think is changing. So yes. Yeah. Thank you for this invitation. This journey for me started, well, I got diagnosed with Lyme's disease. I lost my period. At the time I was nannying for a celebrity film actor in New York. And I was working really crazy hours. I was hustling really hard. And I remember when I accepted that job, I said, this is the last time I'm going to work for somebody else. It was just this knowing. I didn't know how long it was going to last or what it would look like after, but this was the last time I was going to work for somebody else. And this was before Lunar Wild came into my life. So I was working for him. And one evening, I so after their daughter would go to bed, I would still be on shift and I would have some time to order things or do things around the house. And I received a text message from my stepmom letting me know that my father, who was in his mid-50s, was in band practice. He was playing the bass. And during band practice, he start his face started to droop. He couldn't remember how to work his fingers and he started to have a stroke. Hmm. And he was rushed rushed to the hospital. And he had a mysterious brain bleed that they weren't really sure there was, it wasn't like there was a tumor or anything like that, but he had been snowboarding two weeks before or something like that and had a, a bad fall. And they believed that he had maybe like a cyst from childhood in his brain that had ruptured during that fall and had been slowly bleeding for two weeks, pooling in his, I think it was the speech center of his brain. Wow. Can't really remember. So he's rushed to the hospital. So I get this shocking text and I'm at work and he's going to be rushed in for surgery tomorrow. I'm in New York. I feel like I need to get to Buffalo where he lives very quickly. It's all happening very fast. I'm having this awareness of, oh my goodness, am I ever going to see my father again? Is he going to be able to walk me down the aisle someday? All of this, just kind of in shock. And the next day I got on the train, I got another text message that his surgery had been pushed up. He would go into surgery before I actually arrived. And I remember I had, when I first got the text, I let the estate manager of the home that I was working in know that I really needed to get home. And he said, well, you have a shift tomorrow. Can you work? your shift and then get on the train. I think I was working 7am till 3pm. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, and then I remember kicking myself as I got on the train, like I shouldn't have worked this shift. I was just beating myself up going, I might have missed my last opportunity to see my father. So it's like a six hour train ride. And I'm just staring out the window processing all the choices that I've made in my life to bring me to this moment. Uh, my stepmom picked me up from the train station, drove me directly to the hospital. It was probably close to 11 or midnight at that time. My father had successfully made it out of surgery. We were trying to feed him a little bit. He immediately projectile vomited everywhere Mm -hmm. and was so embarrassed and so uh, excited to see me too. And it was, uh, I can still feel it. It was so tender to see this man that had been my strong father uh, guiding force be so vulnerable and so childlike and I made the decision at that moment to to stay with them and to leave my job 
in New York and I didn't know how long it was going to take, but I wanted to be with him and care, care for him while he got better so that his wife could continue to manage their two businesses. So I stayed for a couple months, giving him his medication, helping him with his changing his head wound. And, you know, it was pus and blood was draining out of a bag for a while. And I was battling, that was the peak of my Lyme, Lyme's disease. So I was probably 30 or 40 pounds heavier than I am now. Most of it was water. It was just inflammation. I, I showed you some pictures the other yeah. day. I would wake up and I would just have like four chins <laughs> and I would be so frustrated. It was like my body was- Did you know that you had Lyme? I did. Mm. I did. At that point, I had gotten- some blood tests, but as people with Lyme know, it can be really confusing because it will show up on your blood tests. And then after a certain time window closes, your blood can say that you don't, it's not showing up anymore. But what I've understood is that it actually at that point has settled into the tissues and into mm. other areas. And there's these spirochetes and they kind yeah. of coil around things. And it's this very evasive sort of autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. So I was struggling with that, really, really depressed, super purposeless, didn't love anything that I had been doing, and I had no idea who I was. And then my father got better, and so suddenly the sense of purpose that I had was not there, and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Hmm. And a dear friend from Toronto, I was on the phone with her, I said, I want to do something difficult. I want to challenge myself. I need something. I need a, a big change. And I said, I don't want to go on like a yoga retreat and have somebody fanning me with palm fronds and handing me green smoothies. Like I want to do the work. And she said, oh, you need a vision quest. And I said, well, yeah, but what's a vision quest? <laughs> so she explains to me how it's a sacred rite of passage that's traditionally done for, um, boys in Native American and Aboriginal cultures, wherein when they start to come of age, the boys are sent into the wilderness for a number of days, they fast, and they be with the land, and they go they go completely on their own in isolation and learn how to be with the land, and they purify, and then they speak to spirit, and they ask for a new name, and that's where they're usually given their purpose, and sometimes there's visions, and all these things occur. So there, there was a company that she referred me to. Uh, I think they're called Wilderness Quest now. And uh, it's this amazing psychotherapist named Mike and his wife that run it. They still do it. And I found out when the next trip was. It was in like three or four weeks in the month of May in California, outside of Death Valley in the Inyo Mountains. I never really camped even much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd been like glamping and, mm -hmm. and campers and, you know, tents and all yeah. this, but this was going to be very different. I was going to have to carry everything in a giant pack on my back. And we were not going to have tents. We were going to have a tarp and a rope and a sleeping bag and some water. So my father was well enough now. He took me to the camping store. He helped me get some camping gear. And then before you knew it, I was off to California. And the first three days were this slow, 
disentanglement with society and reality. So Mm -hmm. you get to the airport and then you have to drive a couple hours and you start to leave all the hustle and bustle. We were on a campsite for three days learning about the medicine wheel and uh, the four directions and cycles of death and rebirth. We were learning about the animals we might encounter during our three-day solo that we were about to do. There could be mountain lions and scorpions Mm. and rattlesnakes. And what do you do if you get bit by a rattlesnake? We talked about the buddy system that was being created. So we were all going to be, again, alone in our own spot in this national park. I think I was almost a mile from the nearest person. And so how we did that was uh, my buddy would hike to this spot that was equidistant between our two solo spots in the morning and she would put a rock down and then I would my time to hike was in the afternoon so I would hike in the afternoon I would check that her rock was there and then I would place my rock and then the next morning she would come and make sure my rock was there Mm -hmm. and that was our way of being like yeah I'm still alive everything's cool and there was this whole plan that if you didn't see the person's rock you had to go back to base camp and say this person didn't show up wow so that was our only means of communication during those three those the solo days but first it was just down at this lower campsite learning and then we went up to the national park. We had like a, a couple, maybe one or two days uh, at the base camp. We did a practice run with how to create a tarp structure. And I was expecting that, you know, there would be trees up there, no trees, <laughs> giant boulders and scraggly little sage bushes and wildflowers. So I'm like, how am I going to create anything that's going to keep me safe from the elements? Yeah. And luckily we we practiced. We had, you, you come with one large piece of rope and it's kind of like, if you fuck up cutting this piece of rope, like that's your rope. Yeah. You need to make sure that you're very uh, concise about how you're doing this. So we built these practice structures on our first day down at base camp so we could learn how to work with the tarp and the rope. And then we did that. And then he, Mike, our guide said, now I want you to just intuitively go on a hike and go find your spot and bring some of your water so that you can leave it there because you're not even going to be able to carry all of your stuff plus your water. So went for this hike with my friend Isabel and we were looking for our spots and it started to hail in the desert. It was amazing. It was just like looking over these expanses these plains and then the background these just majestic high I mean we were high in the desert seeing these mountains just crowning everything and this hail just coming down and piling in between all those straggliness and the wildflowers and it was amazing and I found this spot and I was like this is my spot and it kind of reminded me of Pride Rock from The Lion King Mm -hmm. just this perfect altar to the earth this flat rock and so I left my water there and we went to to hike back and I looked into the shelter I had built and the angle of the hail I mean my shelter was filled with hail my sleeping bag was soaking wet from the hail 
And I thought, hmm, this is a learning moment. Mm -hmm. If this had happened to me when I was on my solo, I would be in deep shit. Mm -hmm. Because we still had the cars down there. We Mm -hmm. were able to dry all the sleeping bags out in the car. And it was fine. Um, And we started our fast that evening. And so, yeah, then the next day, no food in my stomach, big pack, like 60 pounds of hiking stuff. And, and I hiked up to my spot and I remember standing there asking is where do I build my shelter? And I I was like, I think this is the spot between these two boulders. And the moment that I said that this hummingbird went and flew right in front of me, just a couple inches from my face, turned its head, looked at me and then flew away. Hmm. I was like, okay, this is the spot. And I remember I was racing against the sun to try and create the structure before the sun went down. There were some definite real elements of danger there Mm -hmm. throughout that journey. Most people never go three days in their life not speaking to a single person. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard to describe what what an altered state you drop into when you do that. So, So that was, you know, I could go on and on about this journey, but throughout those three days, I cried I screamed I danced naked I shouted Mm -hmm. off the mountain tops I named rocks after aspects of my personality like vanity and judgment and I smashed them Mm. it was a very cathartic process and had numerous encounters with animals I woke up to mountain lion prints around my head wow one day where I was (laughs) like could have died last night yeah that thing sniffed me out and was like no I'm good and we didn't have any fire at night and I didn't want to have fire because I was like I don't want anyone to see me here you know what if a stranger came and I'm Mm -hmm. a young woman all by myself so so that was definitely an initiation and when I flew back to New York after that journey I still had I was hoping for some big revelation I still had no idea what I was doing with my life and I luckily had carved out space for integration, which looked like two weeks of just being with myself and my process. And what I did was I pulled this suitcase full of diaries out of my, from underneath my bed. I've been journaling since I was eight years old and I have pretty much every major first event in my life, every year of my life in these pages. Mm -hmm. And I started to read. I was like, who am I? Like, What's my inner child into how do I serve in this world? And I came across a journal entry of my first period. Mm. So this is really where Lunar Wild comes in. And I read about the conversation my mom had had me when I first started to bleed. And she sat me down all teary eyed and said she had been waiting for this moment mm. since the moment she knew she was having a girl. I was her only girl. She had three boys. Mm. And she said she could not wait to welcome me into womanhood and that it was the most sacred gift a woman could know was her period. What a gift. This is not the norm. No. And that that a woman's body is a vessel for creation and is sacred. Mm. And that we will know a a sort of magic that men will never know in their incarnation. Yeah. It is, it is the most psychedelic experience you can have is, is giving birth. And she talked about the moon 
and waxing and waning and how my body would wax and wane like the cycles of the moon I would experience Mm. periods of lightness and juiciness and sensuality and then periods of darkness and rage and anger Mm. and wanting to go inward and that all of this was part of the natural cycle the natural seasons of life yeah I'd written this down and I remember reading it and the hairs on my arms stood up and I thought this is not the norm and there's something here. And of course, sacred rites of passage were fresh on my mind. And I thought, I, I wonder if there's something out there in Western culture, because mm-hmm. these are traditionally, you know, Native American or Aboriginal rites of passage. Is there something in Western culture to initiate young women into yeah. womanhood? Mm-hmm. And because of, of the background that I had in child psychology, I knew the potency of, of these events. And when I started to look into the statistics, it's like 90% of women had, uh, well, remember their first period. Almost every woman yeah. does. You mm-hmm. can ask her where she was, who she was with, what she was wearing. And it's like 60 or 70% had a negative or shameful experience. Yeah. You take this event that is 100% physiologically predictable, you know, unless there's some chronic illness or disease every girl will Mm -hmm. menstruate Mm -hmm. this is going to happen yeah and we're not paying attention to it knowing the psychological impact that it has so I thought if we could take this one moment just this one moment and honor it Mm -hmm. and cherish it and tell a girl about her body and let her know that it's safe for her to experience her body and her pleasure Mm. and that she's safe and that she's part of a collective of women bleeding all over the earth, creating life. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that young girl is going to treat her body differently? Don't you think she's going to feel more empowered to make choices about how she wants to treat her body, yeah, the relationship. And it'll be way harder to, tra- to transgress against her body. Exactly. The energy she carries. Because somebody has given her permission that mm-hmm. is innately her birthright yeah. to choose yeah. which how she wants to treat it. Most of us are giving interact. our bodies away before we know our bodies or even our anatomy. Yes. Yeah. And so many adult women still have... Yeah. Uh, challenged relationships with their periods for me it's one of my favorite times me too because there's the blood on my drum right behind you I'm like yeah I get the pain again (laughs) yes yes and and, you know for me like you said you mentioned this on on the interview we did the other day but I will sometimes save my moon blood I will feed it to the plants Mm -hmm. there's a tree in my neighborhood I've started creating a relationship that I'll offer Mm -hmm. tobacco or water or my moon blood too and it's completely changed my relationship with my own sexuality. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love this so much. Um, so where can people find that box? Lunarwild.com. Okay. And that is, is it a subscription or it's like a one-time purchase it's a, it's, for their first period? Yeah, it's a one-time purchase for their first period. I've also had women... Uh, adult women buy it to kind of reclaim their period. I've had single fathers who don't know how to have that Mm. conversation, but know it's important. Purchase that. Aunts, grandmothers. Yeah, so beautiful. Okay, so we've only got like 10 minutes left, but Uh I still have more. Um, I have the lightning round that I always end the show with, so I'm going to save a few minutes for that. Um, I'm torn because I want to, I really want to ask about how you healed your Lyme Mm -hmm. because so many people if they don't have Lyme, they at least know someone who has it. We're likely, most of us are carriers. Right. And then I'm also curious about the Joe Dispenza breath work that has given you like these amazing apps. <laughs> so let's start with the Lyme. And if we have time okay. for the breath work, then we can. And then we'll do the lightning round. 
Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to attack this from a couple different angles. One, th- one, uh, aspect of this is the physical component. So how am I actually detoxing my body from this Lyme? For me, it was a rigorous sauna protocol with, uh, infrared sauna, probably five plus days a week and an hour. And my sweat was thick and oily and toxic and smelled really bad. And I would make sure I showered right after because it was like, if I kept my sweat on my skin, I'd be itchy. I was super agitated. People don't know that you need to get your sweat off your skin right after the sauna. Otherwise you're just reabsorbing yeah yeah and I was very agitated I will say that because Mm -hmm. agitation is a big part of of Lyme I was Mm -hmm. super tired I was depressed my appetite was all over the place so doing these saunas was not easy but it was a time I would also meditate yeah so I would take take in the emotional component which I'll get into in a second but rigorous sauna protocol rehydrating myself I changed my diet I cut out inflammatory foods like dairy. I I think I went paleo for a while. I cut out nuts, a lot of things. Um, There's many, many different diets, but basically you want to get more alkaline and you want to remove inflammatory foods, obviously alcohol, sugar. And then the body's going to be really mad at you because you've been eating those things Mm -hmm. and it's going to go on a major withdrawal. The sauna can create like a Herxheimer reaction. Mm -hmm. So you can feel really, you can definitely, you will probably feel worse before you get better with a lot Mm -hmm. of these things. My friend Becca in New York is an incredible Chinese medicine doctor. She gave me some really potent Chinese herbs that tasted like feet, Mm -hmm. actually prepared me to drink ayahuasca because they were so horrid tasting (laughs) that when I drank ayahuasca, I was like, I got this. Yeah. So Chinese herbs, acupuncture, Um, and I did initially make the choice to take a round of doxycycline. So I took one round of prescription Mm, that made my, my partner way sicker, made me very sick. Uh, it really also had a deep impact on my gut health and my brain health. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if I would say if I would go back, I wouldn't do it. I do think it was a fear-based decision at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was getting a lot of different advice from a lot of influences. And there's kind of a small window where you can take that. Yeah. So I I can't say for sure whether that was the right choice or not, but I have been able to heal from it. So it's, it's all turned out okay. And it's going to be a different decision for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but those were all aspects that felt like major contributors. Mm -hmm. And then the emotional piece is huge. So for me, with any autoimmune, there's the question of, I'm attacking myself. Yep. My body is attacking itself. Mm-hmm. How am I doing that in my thoughts? Yeah. Where have I given my power away? I made lists. I made lists of every relationship in my life where I was giving giving my power away, mm-hmm. making myself less than, not listening to myself. And I started to take radical responsibility for how I had contributed to getting my body into a lower immune state to be able to, to welcome in this, this Lyme, this disease. And sometimes it's hard for people to like, I I know so many people, a lot of people in my family who eat Chick-fil-A all the time, but consider themselves healthy. And so sometimes it's not just where we gave our power away to others, but where like we transgressed ourselves and how we were living, you know, a freezer full of Tyson chicken or constantly in front of screens, whatever it was where we weren't honoring our body. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's like really hard to face and to own up and to kind of, um, repair within ourselves emotionally, but that's a big part of it too. You gotta love it. 
I mean, it sounds really hard to say when there's a person or a thing in your life that you want to be different, but it's like Ram Dass when he said, I love my pain. I love my wheelchair. It is your teacher. It's here for a reason. So you can push it away. You can say, I fucking hate this thing. I just, what's ruining my life. Or you can surrender into what's being shown to you. You can soften and you can really start a dialogue. Surrender is huge. Because even with Lyme, if you're resisting, 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 it's just going to persist. Yeah. But if you can, it sounds crazy, but if you can surrender to it Mm -hmm. and say like, what are you here to show me? And also like surrender to the point where you're really just present with it because your body will react to that. I never thought I was going to live a normal life again. I Mm. would sleep 14 hours a day. I was so depressed. I couldn't get up and be functional. And I thought this is how I'm going to be. And then I had to go through the stages of grief and the anger and the sadness and the resentment toward it. And why, why me, the victim thing. Mm -hmm. And you just ride it out and you say, yep, this too. Yep. Okay. You feel that? Cool. What else? Yeah. What else? Yeah. So good. Okay. So I'm going to do the lightning round and then if there's time, I'll ask about the breath work. So if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Hmm, I would say... Play. Mm. <laughs> so good. <laughs> if you could have the whole world read one book, what would it be? Either The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho or Polishing the Mirror by Ram Dass. Mm. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Mm. The world loves you too. <laughs> okay, we have... Three minutes. Okay. Do you, do you think you could sum up the breath work? Ooh. So for the listeners, she walked in in a crop top and I was like, wow, <laughs> you've got great abs. And she's like, oh, it's breath work. So <laughs> big part of it. Uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very diligent with my, my diet too. And I, I am blessed with great genetics, but I, I will say that when I returned from the Joe Dispenza retreat, it was amazing because everybody started complimenting my body. Like, wow, what have you been doing to work out? And I was like, I've been gone for a week. I have been meditating. <laughs> so a lot of it, a lot of, a lot of, you know, fitness, they say like abs are made in the kitchen. Like I really think it's all made in our, our mind and our bodies mm. are these incredible pharmacies. We have all of these chemicals. And uh, when we stimulate our pineal gland through these meditations, we essentially release this melatonin that's there and it gets create it changes into all these different permutations of these chemicals that feed and revitalize and change our neurochemistry in our bodies. And so Dr. Joe taught us this kind of rigorous breath work with these breath holds that are designed to activate the pineal gland, stimulate this melatonin to be released and effectively just bathe your body in vitality and well-being Mm -hmm. so the short of it is i'm going to recommend that everybody who's interested in this go check out dr joe dispenza's meditations they uh, he teaches you how to do the breath in that but um, i do them in tandem with these walking meditations so essentially it's an exhale all the way out you pull the belly button to the spine and then when you think you're already exhaled you exhale even more and you lock it down you lock down your rib cage you pull up your perineum you clench your butt muscles you clench everything in your lower three chakras and then you do a slow inhale like you're sipping through a straw all the way from your root chakra all the way up 
through your belly into your heart. You feel it expand into your heart. You continue breathing in and you pull it up all the way to the center of your head where your pineal gland lives and you hold and you hold and you hold. And the more you do this, you'll be able to get longer and longer breath holds, but you just hold that air in and you envision pulling the energy up and out of your head into the ethers, like into the field and feeling that energy open up. So you hold it as long as you can. And then finally, you let it all go. And you just repeat that cycle over and over. And if you get really good at it, you're going to start to feel lightheaded, you might feel your ears start burning, you might feel heat rising, you might hear I hear a little click Mm. in my brain when the blood is like rushing. And then so doing this over and over and over, uh, I guess, probably at least 40 times a day. I'm sure that's helping (laughs) with the abs when you're clenching and holding and building that body awareness. So all right. Yes. Something for people to explore with a lot more time than than I just gave it here because yeah. it really deserves it. And um, yeah, I'm glad to 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 give that little tidbit yeah. as we exit. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. This is this has been great. And um yeah, I really, I really enjoyed these conversations with you. I know that we'll do more. Yep. And um yeah, if anyone's interested in connecting, they can Come find me. Yeah, tell them where to find you. You can find me and everything about my coaching on hallyrose.com. The podcast is thoughtroompodcast.com. It's on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, everywhere you get your podcasts. I'm on Instagram at hallie underscore rosebud, leading a women's retreat in Sedona in October. That will be mm. on Healing the Sister Wound, and it will be with my best friend, Danny. Amazing. So if you want to hear about that, please sign up for my newsletters. I also have a Telegram channel, which you can easily find the link to on my Instagram, and you can join my inner circle for more tips on breath work and meditation, my poetry, my daily musings, and I'd love to connect with everyone there. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Jade. <laughs> Thank you guys for sitting in on this conversation of a beautiful friendship unfolding. Her stories were so inspirational and yeah, what what came out of them is so amazing. And, And I think it's because she brought so much intention to them. And as we said here in this podcast and on hers, it's the intention that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Anything is a portal when you bring the intention to it. All right, I'll thank the affiliates, the best toys for sex at dameproducts.com. Code Jade gets 15% off. You guys know my favorite is the suction toy powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation like me. It's called the Air, A-E-R. They've got tons of stuff on there, but Air is my favorite. It creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris. So you can go all the way, right away, as many times as you want. Code Jade gets you 15% off. Pleasure wands and yoni eggs. I love my pleasure wand and I pair it with that clit sucker and whew, dynamic duo. Code Jade for a discount on any of their products at wands.com, W-A-A-N-D-S.com. Beautiful, beautiful products. Okay, all things CBD, directhemp.com, a better way to CBD. Code Jade for a discount. I particularly love their sleep gummies and their body whip butter. And lastly, but not least, higher dose infrared products. Oh gosh, I, you guys, these things are so grounding for me. They're so healing for me. 
the infrared, the crystal therapy, the sweat, all of it. Code JADE75 for $75 off. Thank you so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. People, it would mean so much to me if you would hit the five star. You don't even have to type out a review. It would be great if you did. But if you just could hit the five star, it would really help the podcast. If you could just take that moment, it would mean so much also if you shared an episode with a friend. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast. As always, be light, stay open, and remember, you belong here. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.